This is Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea. You listen to Sea Stories, I'm John Murphy. We're in a very breezy Greystones marina and we're talking to Alan Corr, the manager of the marina here, about his experiences at sea as we look back over his long professional career. Coming up, we'll find out more about the plans for the harbour. We'll be finding out about the difficulties of being a family man at sea and the problems and challenges that presents for those left at home. We're going to sea in the 1980s for a career with quite a different proposition in a very different industry. This is Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. Today we're sitting in the cockpit of a 38-foot boat on Greystones Marina. It's a windy day, so that's what you'll hear the noise in the background of the halyards slapping against the mast. And I'm with Alan Corr, who's the manager of the Greystones Marina, the, the recently opened uh, Greystones Marina. Uh, Alan, I'd just like to ask you, how, how did you end up here? How did you start in Greystones? What, what brought you to Greystones Marina? Well, um, interesting. Um, I spent quite a lot of my life uh, wandering around sort of at sea. I started as a radio officer years and years ago and then I came home. Uh, I then went into uh, with the Department of Communications into air traffic control and I hated that so I came back and uh, my roots were always sort of with the sea or to things to do with the sea and I uh, started uh, in Dunleary Marina as operations manager. Uh, it had opened in St. Patrick's Day in 2001 and I joined in 2003 as operations manager for phase two and then eventually phase three of the marina. Um, and I suppose, uh, how did I end up in Greystones? I, when my sort of time had finished in Dunleary, I still wanted to hold on to sea connection and various things like that so uh, I was approached by uh, BJ Marine uh, with a, a view to going to sales uh, I'd never done boat sales before so I thought hmm, this is uh, this is good uh, I know boats uh, I know the sea the, the only thing I don't know are the people who buy the boats so that was a new thing for me so I got into it uh, loved it and um, as time went on I sort of uh, sold quite a few big boats and uh, funny thing as you know in the in the times when things were the boom or the Celtic Tiger people were buying the boats and saying now what do I do and I said well now you've got to get a skipper so I realised that there weren't that many skippers around so I offered my services and then I went to the to the med for quite some time uh, doing deliveries and various bits and pieces for mainly for the people that I sold boats to and then I I turned 60 on the 25th of February 2014 and I said to myself, I'm getting a bit old for this prior to that. So, uh, funny enough, I got a phone call from Bernard on a Thursday. Would I uh, like to meet? Am I doing anything? I said, funny enough, at the moment, not much. So he he suggested we meet for a coffee. That was the Thursday and on the Tuesday, I was manager of Greystones Harbour Marina. That's a great. <laughs> so that's basically how I got involved. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a long history. But you know, delivering boats and principally for the customers, but also yeah. in general. Tell me about any of those memorable voyages. Uh, well, they're all memorable. I'm, some of them are more memorable than other than others. But uh, you know, uh, one particular time I remember, uh, I was delivering a fifty-footer for a, a gentleman here from Ireland, 
and he bought it uh, and sort of uh, when he had bought it and everything else I turned around to the guy the dealer and said uh, how do I get it back and he says oh well you have to bring it back by road now this was a 52 foot motor cruiser so we were looking at the situation and he said to me how do we bring it back and I said well we've got to get the dealer and get the manufacturer to sort things out and try and get a transport guy so eventually about two days later we got a phone call from him to say yes I've organised it and it'll be 60 grand and he was kind of saying, I hadn't budgeted for 60 grand delivery. So uh, over a cup of coffee, he said, Jeez, you know, uh, uh, how much would it cost to bring it back by sea? And I kind of looked at him and I'm thinking, you know, from Italy to Malahide, it's a bit of a jaunt. Yeah. But uh, we worked it out and did a few figures and and it came well under 60 yeah. grand. So he decided and uh, we headed off. And we got to a little place called the Pockerals, which is sort of uh, the eastern part of the Gulf of Lyon. Beautiful morning, got up at about half past five, had the breakfast, it was glass camp, nothing like we have here today, and sun breaking the horizon, beautiful day, headed off, uh, doing about 20 knots in this thing, and at about 12 o'clock, halfway across the Gulf of Lyon, we hit a, what's called a Mistral, and we had a wind probably about a force eight to nine, which threw up waves of about four and a half meter, which is not too bad, except that the trough, this is the distance between the height of both yeah. waves, was about two metres. And for an 18 to 19 tonne boat uh, powering through, it just didn't work. So we had to cut the power down to about four knots. In the meantime, the owner of the boat was kind of almost inches away from death <laughs> with seasickness yes. and various other bits and pieces. Like or that. he so felt that way anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I had to tie him down yeah. and then tie myself down. And about eight and a half hours later, we broke loose from this clutches of the gale and that's one of the horrible parts of the whole thing but uh, we have to tell the tale and that's what it's all about you know well like going right back to the beginning when you went to sea as a radio officer right in those days that was coming to the end of that era in some degree yeah it was uh, I was very lucky um, I finished uh, college and I went straight into the uh, merchant navy with the New Zealand shipping company and New Zealand shipping company were one of the last people to employ kind of uh, the real radio officer scene New Zealand Shipping Company was taken over by P&O and you know the whole the whole thing changed for me because as a radio officer prior to that you only did radio work yeah but with the P&O taking over New Zealand Shipping Company and its development they introduced things which were called general purpose crew which meant that a radio officer was no longer free when he pulled into port that he had to do an awful lot of deck work including cargo watches etc etc and they encouraged uh, radio officers to become sort of junior deck officers which I duly did and that was the beginning of my master's ticket but isn't that a great that was a great way to to transition from one profession to another oh, yeah. and then as a yeah. base I guess for what you're doing yeah now. it was it was yeah. brilliant well it gave, it gave me the fair I mean it gave me the, the navigational skills aspect obviously as a radio officer communication was the thing and in those days uh, when I started it was it was Morse code and you had radio telephone but you had to utilise the, the skip which was kind of using the ionosphere yeah. and to get sort of so if you were down in Australia, you had to get up at sort of four o'clock in the morning to make a phone call through to the office for the skipper who was going to sort of say, listen, I'm, I want to pay off, whatever. Yeah. So, but uh, things changed then. And um, the deck off situation was, was interesting because uh, I, I originally started, I suppose, uh, with, the, with the Royal Navy with the intention of, of becoming a deck off. But then the communication side was much easier. And uh, 
you know, progressed on a little bit. I think there was a large number of Irish people, Irish guys, did, did the radio officer. Yeah, there was. I mean, years ago, I mean, it was uh, potatoes and sparkies were the only things that left the country. Yeah. <laughs> This is Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. How did you gain sailing experience? Well, sailing experience, I mean, I grew up in Monkstown, and, uh, which wasn't very far away from Dunleary, and in those days there were no sort of, there was the harbour wall, but there was no marina, no breakwater, no anything. So you had sort of things like the Motor Yacht Club, and then all you had, the George, the National, and the Irish. But uh, I sort of, from an early age, was kind of fairly involved. 1965, I think, I went sailing with the uh, Motor Yacht Club. Um, it tends to be, I think we've found in doing this series, that people have, they, if they haven't got an immediate connection, they have way back some connection with the sea. It's something that gets into you. Yeah, 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 it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, from my point of view, it skipped about two generations. Uh, my great-great-grandfather was in it, and then his grandfather uh, was in the Department of Education, and then so that my father was in newspapers. So there was no real connection aspect with the sea until I came along. And uh, I think from a very early age, I remember, I think it was about seven or eight, uh, there was a fabulous big yacht, uh, a model of a yacht that my grandfather had built, a great-great-grandfather and uh, it was uh, up in the hallway and nobody ever touched it uh, uh, except myself and I used to play around with the rigging of various and I was very young I hadn't a clue what I was doing but I had the principle of sailing and I knew basically just that you know how to harness the wind and get it going and I always ha- I had this long line attached to it and my aunt used to bring me down to Bull Rock which is uh, uh, South Dunleary and off it went one day on a nice little breeze went to, I went to grab the rope and missed it and the next thing, uh, I turned to my aunt, who was absolutely thrown it because that was that was worth more than the house. Yeah. So uh, there was my sort of inheritance floating off into the into the horizon. But uh, it was a big big to do. My my uncle came down. They had charts. They had ran all sorts of bits and pieces, tracking to see where it was going to go. And it just shaved the forty foot and disappeared. We never saw it again. <laughs> but that was kind of that was, I suppose, that really for me was the start. That you know. I probably was still trying to find out where they got went. Yeah, you spent your career in sea trying to find out where that boat is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? You'll know it's coming to an end when you see it sailing into Greystones and Marina, Very taking true. a berth here. Right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you listen to Sea Stories. We're sitting here in Greystones Marina on board a 38-foot boat with the wind howling in the rigging. And I'm with Alan Corr, the manager of the marina. Alan, can you tell me about... This, this marina, it's only new, but it's, there's quite a story and quite a vision for it, isn't there? There is, yeah. I mean, as she stands at the moment, we have about 110 berths um, and filling up greatly. She opened on the 1st of April last year, 2013, and it was a big rush by sort of all the crew to get it ready for the 1st of April. And the feeling was that it, while it opened on the 1st of April, it missed the slot for kind of quite a lot of guys that how were... were birthing and making arrangements for their annual births and stuff like that. And uh, it's obvious because this year, uh, certainly for the last three weeks, we have some fantastic calls, people looking for, for births and stuff like that, which, which is great because the more people that fill it, the more ber- for permanent births we have, the closer we come to completing it. How many have you got uh, now? Got we have 120 uh, uh, at the moment and the capacity is about 250. And our minimum depth 
is 3.4 metres, which is a big, you know, which big thing, good, yeah. which is good. At high water, certainly out at the end of A, we can take any craft. I mean, it's fantastic to have a marine in Hoth, a marine in Dunleary, and a marine in Greystones. Yeah. Now, on the East Coast, we've got tremendous resources to attract yeah. visitors. Yeah. But also yeah. for the locals, like I, I base, I'm based in Dunleary, I can go away to a foreign port in Greystones or a foreign port in Hoth for yeah. a weekend. Yeah. It's a fantastic facility now, you know. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, in years gone by, when Dunleary was built, you could only really go either east or north. You could yeah. go up to the river or you could go to Hope. But now, you know, Arklo was there, but it was just that little bit too far, I think, for a weekend. For a weekend, exactly, for yeah. And the, and the Wicklow doesn't have the facilities yet. No, it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, we're very fortunate. I mean, we're right on the doorstep of Greystones Town. Uh, there's, what, 22 restaurants, all fantastic restaurants. Uh, you know, the, the people in Greystones are fantastic, absolutely. They're so supportive, certainly from my point of view, since I've arrived and I'm here, what, eight, nine weeks now. Yeah. And uh, they've been so supportive. And it's, for me, it's, I, I'm extremely excited about it because it's... It's, it's still in its infant stage. There's still people, there's still, you know, people excited about even, like you bring in blocks to build a wall and there, there's, there's a crowd around you watching what's happening to see its development. And it's, you know, for me, it's, it's fantastic. It's like, like, like putting water on a seed and watching it grow. You can hear the wind howling, and yet we're quite steady here. Hmm. Oh, listen, this is fantastic. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, as you know, last two months, we had the most horrendous seas and wind. And here, all was happening was the wind was catching the, the rigging. That's the only movement there was. The actual water itself was extremely flat. Even with the w- wind across the top of the marina, it's that's, still very steady. That's a real test. It is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is one of the, one of the things, while Dunleary was, was fantastic, uh, its size uh, is vulnerable again to, to, to winds. Whereas here, as you can see, we're nice and sheltered. The breakwaters are quite high. The, 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 the landfill is quite high so now we're half tide and while the wind is whistling it's whistling up the, but we're sitting here it's there's very little, yeah, we are, yeah. very little wind in the cockpit just watching it This is Sea Stories Lives Touched by the Sea I'm John Murphy and today I'm with Alan Corr chatting aboard a boat in a very windy harbour For those who make a career at sea the personal challenges are enormous It's not like a 9 to 5 or even shift work where you'll see your family on regular occasions Seafaring is different those who work on ships are often away for weeks and even months at a time before returning home. I spoke to Alan about this. Obviously, life at sea is very, uh, very difficult for families because sometimes I know your, uh, your partner goes away with you. Sometimes they can't. When children arrive, it, there can be long periods when you're apart. How is that dealt with? Is that difficult? Yeah, it is. It is very difficult. Um, when the kids were small, uh, I have two girls, one 29, the other 24, but when they were very small, it was much easier because they, they really didn't have a voice. They didn't say anything, do anything. They just ate and slept and various things like that was grand. But as yeah. they got older, they kind of, uh, I won't say we're asking questions, but they kind of sort of said, uh, well, you know, when something come up in the house, they say, well, who are you? You're very rarely here. <laughs> and you're kind of sitting there looking, excuse me, you know, the ground you're standing on is there because I'm away now. But then you, you know, but it's, as they're growing up, 14, 15, 16, it's grand. As they get to sort of 24, 25, they realise what it's all about. Um, yeah, I think uh, you have to have special people, particularly my wife. Um, she is very tolerant. The only, the only thing I, I do, I feel for her, particularly when I come home after a long trip, because when you're a master on a vessel, you're actually doing your own thing and people are doing what you want. And when you go home, 
and you say to the wife, I want this, you're very quickly told where to get off. And you're not on your ship now, Mr. Captain. <laughs> so it's kind of, yeah, it's one of these things where you, you've got to, as I got older, I learned to actually shut up when I got in, uh, put the discharge book away, put the uniform away, put the bag away, and then wait to be told what I was to do. Well, I can see you ha- it's a very uh, organized, regimented, to degree, watch-keeping system. When you come home, that all goes away. Mm. How do you handle that? Um, yeah, it's good, uh, because it, you, it's, you have to have a change. I mean, if you did it all the time, all your life, you'd be, you'd be bored with it, I'd say. And, and also, you'd become complacent. I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd make mistakes. Yep. And I think, I think probably one of the good things for me was that uh, with the people that I was involved with, they would be out to the boat for, say, two or three weeks and then gone for a month. Now, I would probably have to stay for a week after they'd gone and be there a week before. And so I had a fortnight at home, which was grand. It was time enough, but not long. And it was good for them, but not for me. How I coped, uh, you didn't. On a, on a boat, it's very different. It's not like sort of, uh, you know, jet lagging around the world because you're actually traveling at 20 miles an hour. So, you know, it's, and that's, that's, a, good, that's a good boat. Yeah. I mean, you can, if you have the unfortunate situation to be on a pretty slow yacht, you're doing about six or seven miles an hour. So life really slows down. So time doesn't really have any bearing on what you're doing. Um, it does also, you know, on the power side of it, it's much better because you can actually, when you get windows in weather, you can actually utilize that to travel big distances. I mean, the one that, uh, that I, when I paid off, uh, I actually just came back a couple of weeks ago. I had to go down and get all my gear off because obviously, as I said, I met Bernard on the Thursday and I was working on the Tuesday. So everything was down on the boat. So I had to tell the owner I wasn't going back and go down and take all the gear off. But uh, we did a little bit of a trip from Estepona to Gibraltar and we were heading down to Morocco. But the weather was so bad, so we went back up to Ben Magna. But we did all that within a week. Mm. Now, on a sailing boat, that would probably take you weeks. And that's the big difference. So, you know, it's all relative. Time is is relative, I suppose, to what you're doing. If you're on a jet, you will suffer the time lag because you're going from day to day to day. On a boat, you're going from hour to hour. On a sailing boat, you're going from day to day in short, you know. Yeah, I remember going across the Atlantic, deciding not to change the clocks uh, as we changed our time of going across. Mm. And, the, and, and, the, and the daylight shifted through our day. Yeah. And then we had to make a change at some point, yeah. you know. But as you say, it's much more gentle and gradual. Yes, it is. It is, yeah. So yeah. that way the body can cope with it. And the mind as well. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's kind of one of the great things with the power scene is that you can cover great distances during the day and to make sure you're in between four and six o'clock so everything's tied up well in time for dinner. And the odd glass of... How civilised. Yes, very civilised. Well, when you get to 60, (laughs) civilization and civilised areas become most important. You're listening to Sea Stories, lives touched by the sea. So you're in a great position to tell us uh, how... Has the industry, is it beginning to come back up? Is it beginning to come back? Are people buying boats now? Yeah. How how are things changing? Uh, Not the big ones, not the huge ones. The Continentals are still buying uh, the big boats, like the 62s and the 70-footers. But here, it's the second-hand market. It's the guy, sort of, you know, the 30, 40, 50 grand is moving. Uh, There are, uh, you know, there is. There is an upturn, thank God, because it was pretty harsh for the last couple of years for the industry. So if you're star, if you're somebody, I come to you and I say I want to take up sailing. I am in my fifties and I want to buy a boat. What's what should I start with? 
Well, I mean, the first thing we do is, you know, what kind of a budget have you got? Exactly how much do you want to spend? And from that, then we can find out, obviously, one is either sale or power, yeah. and then you move on from there. Uh, but it's right up, right from sort of six, eight thousand, you can actually go afloat. Now, that's that's buying the boat, obviously, yeah. then you've got to keep it. And, you know, I mean, the costs here are, are they're OK. A lot of people would look at, you know, people who don't know anything about it and say, my gosh, you know, 375 euro a metre per year, that's a lot of money. But in actual fact, you know, when you think about it, for a 10 metre, 12 metre boat, it's only 10 uh, euro or so a week. Yeah. On a breezy day sitting here in Greystones Marina, chatting about the marina, but also about your life at sea, you've had a very varied life. You've been uh, in commercial shipping as a radio officer, as a deck officer, you've sold boats and delivered them, mm-hmm. you've run marinas, you've built mm-hmm. the industry. H- how would you sum up your life at sea? Um, brilliant. That's all. Uh, how would I sum up? Um, it's a partnership, really. It's a relationship. And, I mean, you have to, you have to respect a partner and you also have to respect the sea. And, I mean, you, if you take chances, it's a situation that nine times out of ten, you won't win. Particularly where the sea is concerned, you don't take a chance. And I suppose that's how I've lived my life in a situation. Forecasts are something, they're not just uh, airtime. They're, they're, they're there for a reason. Uh, and as you get a little older, you start to read the weather yourself and the conditions and the surroundings. And uh, from that point of view, I think that's where it also respects me, I suppose. I think in this series we've talked to all sorts of people from their lives at sea and, and, and one thing's become clear, the more experience you have, the more you realise that to be true, the more you realise that the, the, the more you think you know, the more you realise the less you know. There's so much to learn about this and, and the real experienced people are more cautious, they're more aware of the weather, they're more aware of what's going on and, and that's the whole thing really. Yeah. I used to say with an old guy and he'd say to me, Alan, he said, the day you stop learning about the sea is the day you die. What better advice to give to end our programme today? I've been talking with Alan Corr, manager of the Greystones Marina and Master Mariner. I hope that you've learned something about the sea and that when you pay a visit to Greystones, you'll take a stroll around the new marina and harbour and ponder what a feat of modern engineering it is. Perhaps you'll look out at a passing ship and wonder about its crew with new insight. If you want to hear more programmes and clips from other programmes in the series, head over to our website, seastories.ie. Next time on Sea Stories. One of the Irish ships I was in, she burst all the portholes there, the, 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 in, the, in the front of the ship, in the, in the bow, you know, mm. in the accommodation. Big sea comes over the bow and hits yeah. the accommodation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. See, it's only recently they, 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 they got, uh, they've accepted that we used to tell them, if you came in with damage, you'd say, well, I hit a, a freak sea. They said, there's no such thing as a freak sea, but now since the satellites have picked it up... Yeah, the, the, the 30 metres the, the, and more. Yeah, more. They know that they're around, especially on the, the, in the Mozambique Channel. Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, was presented by John Murphy and produced by Pat Hannan. Find out more information about Sea Stories. Go to facebook.com forward slash Sea Stories Ireland or follow Sea Stories on Twitter at Sea Stories IRL. It was a 21st Century Vox production for East Coast FM and was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.
with funding from the television licence fee.